Hello and welcome back to Subspace Radio. It is time to discuss the latest in Star Trek and what other topics lead from that discussion. We have the final episode of Picard Season 3 to talk about. With me, as always, every week is Kevin Yank. How are you? Pleasure to be with you, Rob. It is an absolute pleasure to finally get down to the nuts and bolts of The Last Generation and hear your thoughts and share mine with you and see where we come to in the middle ground, in the neutral zone. One last time around the poker table. Exactly. At a shot that just lingers. It doesn't want to go. <laughs> a shot that doesn't want to leave. And just like most of the fans did not want the show to end. Incredible. Yeah. So what were your first impressions with the, the concluding episode, the second part of our two-part finale and the last episode of all these regular characters together in the one place again for the for the foreseeable future which is pretty much it what were your thoughts this was real good they <laughs> they stuck the landing there were things that raised my eyebrows and kind of went was that really necessary <laughs> or that was a bit much and i have to say having watched it a second time with the surprise gone the overarching impression is just how confident and purposeful and clear a story they told here. Yes. They got all of the, what do you mean they've injected Borg programming into everyone's DNA? They got all of that weirdness out of the way last week so that this week could be a relatively, in my view, straightforward story. Yes. That didn't confuse anyone, didn't lose any fans along the way, and rather just indulged in a big spectacle in which every character we cared about had an important part to play. And on every front, they just nailed it. There's been a lot of talk online about finances and about how much money has been put into this show and joking about the return to that bar and how often it's been used. But it really was a clear indication of clever writing, a showrunner who knows what the fans want and also what a good story need, but also how to use that money wisely. So to be economical when you need to be for close-ups and set shots and CGR shots, but also saving money for some incredible shots of the Enterprise D coming down within the Borg ship, uh, mm. circling around to pick up with swoops in, swoops over their heads, in the yeah. lights and the smoke and the, and the foam and the, and the wind and everything, just those and the, things. the Borg queen going, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was very much, it was incredibly satisfying end and just even though I'm not as huge a next-gen fan, I have an affection for that crew and to be drawn into it so that I felt like yourself and many others who have lived that seven-season story, those four movies, and has been a part of your life for decades. And I've been on that outside periphery, but I felt very much welcomed in to, to, to enjoy them for one last time and feel a part of that collective experience so this being the biggest of big finishes i think we we decided this week what we're going to be 
reflecting on in the rest of the Star Trek canon is big finishes, final episodes, endings, and whether they were successful or not. Perhaps how they compared to this week's money-infused extravaganza. (laughs) Having watched this and then gone back and watched some other endings in Star Trek, just how much money there is here. This looked more expensive than most of the Star Trek films to me. Uh, And some of the endings of Star Trek series that were like just barely able to make it to the finish line of their last season were real cash-strapped affairs, and you could tell (laughs) (laughs) compared to this, where no expense was spared, it felt like, at least in this last Yes, some going out with a whimper, not a bang. But yes, it would be great to explore which ones work, which one didn't work. Yeah, that, that was definitely on my mind here, of just how much of these changelings and secret sons are we actually going to care about when this, when all is said and done, it's probably going to hinge on whether this story got us somewhere that mattered. And I feel like to this week, it definitely did. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, it was really focused in everything has been set up to this point. And so we could focus on what was important, stripping it back to Picard and his relationship with all the people around him and the connections with that, him as a father, him as captain, him as an admiral and the people around him and how they associate with it. I said that this was a simple story mm. here by the end. And yeah, in broad strokes, if we were to summarize this, it was the Enterprise D goes to find a Borg cube at Jupiter, flies through it, blows up the thing, and rescues Jack. Meanwhile, around Earth, Seven and Rafi fight back the assimilated crew of the Titan and do some swooping runs on the fleet that are attacking space dock, slowing them down just enough to prevent the destruction of all of the cities on earth. And that's yeah, the end. And it really is a case of the earth is being at its most threatened than it has been. And it's all on one person. So if you just disconnect that one person, Jack, everything's fine. So it really is this case of... Uh, they needed to unjack Jack, <laughs> as it were. Exactly. What else stood out to you? Well, it, it started off with a homage to a whale movie. Not only did we have Walter Corey back as, as the descendant of Pavel Chekhov, he said the famous line from Star Trek that all presidents need to say, do not approach Earth. Star Trek 4 <laughs> reference. Yeah, absolutely. If you like stories where ships are told not to approach Earth, Go watch Star Trek 4. And how are you with doing impersonations of your relatives? Because... Uh, <laughs> well, we know in Star Trek that relatives are identical twins of their forebearers. Of so I think he Walter Koenig had an easy assignment here. <laughs> the moment his, his voice appeared, I went, I know who that yeah. is. And then he announced himself as Anton Chekhov. And I was like, oh, wow. Every fan did the same mental math and it went... Chekhov, not Pavel Chekhov, Anton Chekhov, Anton Yelchin, who played Pavel Chekhov in the JJ movies. Beautiful stuff. Where it lost me is when he did the (laughs) accent. (laughs) As my father would have said, hope is never lost. And I just went, oh no, you took it too far. I was rolling my eyes in the first 30 seconds. So it was touch and go there for a second. Yeah, I could see. I'm there going, why didn't I have a video of him? And then they're going, all right. Mm. Okay. 
they're going to indulge a little bit here. And when I say a little, a yeah. hell of a lot. Some beautiful Enterprise D flybys oh, and yeah. the exact same angles that we saw every week again and again ad nauseum during the TV series. But this time upscale to 4K with all of that incredible lighting and model detail. That ship has never looked better. And they showed it to us at classic angles. Certainly, at least until that started doing the bombing run through the Borg yes. cube where we saw it from every possible angle. But they definitely took the time to reverently revisit the way we are used to seeing this ship at great length. There were those moments. I mean, it. They were playing all the hits. Yeah. They had Riker's foot on the console. They did. He didn't do it. They he didn't had... do it on Data's side. He did it on Geordie's, though. As soon as I saw that Borg cube sticking out of the clouds of Jupiter's great red spot with its pointy antennas and then the shot in profile of the arc of the planet, the cube shrouded in the those red clouds and the tiny enterprise the tiny in front enterprise of it, with the sun lens flaring all over the place in the background, I just went, okay, this is special now. This is this feels like more than just playing the hits. They are now creating something beautiful and new here. Yes. That, that's that's when it hooked me. And it went to the opening credits at that point. I went, great, I'm on board. And there was definitely that balance of a finale told in two stories. So the old generation and the new generation. So we see the struggle to keep the Titan disconnected in some way. So those surviving old curmudgeons, seven of nine, Oh, send her out to pasture. Not, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> and techno babble of going, all right, we've created this teleportation portable device yeah. Let's see. And they're going, oh, that's a good, a good amount of techno babble in a short amount of time. I do not envy the writing challenge nor the acting challenge for all the people involved in those B plot scenes of you are going to be up against the tear-jerking nostalgia fest of the bridge crew of the Enterprise D going on their suicide mission into the Borg cube, you know that every one of your scenes will be cutting away from that <laughs> to, I'm just a chef. I've, I only took one week of pilot school. You've got this, son. That was hard yeah. stuff. I think it would have been hard to instill that with the same amount of gravitas and importance as what was going on around Jupiter. And I think they mostly succeeded. And look, this is the one, one of the few signs where I am grateful for season one and two of Picard, not for how they were ultimately presented, but what that has done for Seven of Nine's character and what we've seen of Seven of Nine evolve from season one to now to get to the point where she can, with the gun swinging over her shoulder, look at this guy and just say, you got this. And it's just like, I'm there yeah. going, this is not just three years of Picard. This is decades out of the show. This is everything that Jerry Ryan has been through to stand there and take this and deliver that line. And you go, that has been a journey in itself off screen and yeah. on screen. I agree with you. Yeah. Without skipping to the end, <laughs> I will say that really Jerry Ryan carried the B plot yes. of this finale episode. Rafi was there. Other people were there, but really it was the Jerry Ryan yes. show and showing us her in command with no one to fall back on, no one to question her, what she can get done 
under pressure and in leadership of a crew, a small one, but a crew, that not only sells the potential for the Star Trek Legacy series <laughs> that the fans are now clamoring for, but it sells for me that Jerry Ryan can lead that show Easily. persuasively. Yeah. Having watched this, I the only thing I want to be in a Star Trek Legacy show is Jerry Ryan. The rest can come along, but I can take or leave them. Jerry Ryan is the reason I will be tuning in to that yes. show. Yes. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I've discussed over the last couple of weeks my issues with Raffi as a character and Raffi with her relationship with Seven of Nine. And there's been a lot of talk about how amazing it is that for this moment there is, you know, someone LGBTIQ plus represented in a captain's role and a female and all this type of stuff, and which is incredible. But yeah, it is that thing of Seven of Nine standing alone and proud as themselves, mm. not being yeah. tied to anyone. To Seven of Nine, in many ways, was defined by finding her identity through her relationships with the Doctor, with Janeway, with Tuvok, all that type of stuff, and hamstrung her to a relationship that was thrown together with a handshake in the last shots of a season. I've talked about it many times before. I'm all up for that representation, but for her as a character, it's her standing proud is on her own two feet is incredible. And the stuff with Raffi would like her connecting with her family again and being able to with jumping to the end with Worf there going be with your family connect with your family mm, you are yep. no longer you can no longer be a spy because everyone knows who you are now so yeah it, it was a big challenge but Jerry Ryan continues to show week in week out whenever they bring her back she is just she's ready for it she like you said she had to do all the heavy lifting going up against all of the original next gen cast and Never there was a moment where you were going, come on, cut back to them. Yeah. Credit to them for not getting Seven and Rafi back together, or at least not explicitly getting them back together. That is the last thing we care about in this episode. They're just working as a team. We can explore if the captain and the first officer are together or not in that eventual series. That dynamic was done on the Orville, where the captain and the first officer yes. are a separated couple. Yes. And every once in a while, there's a bit of will they, won't they? Do they miss each other? Oh, this is nice. Remember how it used to be. And then professionalism prevails. Yes. Well, they remember why they're not together. And I think that dynamic can work very nicely. So I would look forward to that from Rafi and Seven more than I would look forward to the, the couple running the starship. Yeah. I'm going to call it now, I think... Rafi and Seven never getting back together. I think that's done and dusted. And like so many other things about season two, that was as efficiently and effectively canceled as possible in this yes, season fair three. And don't make Jack a counselor. That's the worst decision ever. You wanted the shot of the three of them at the on the chairs together. Put him at a desk. Put him at Ugh. one of the operating stations. I wrote, give the guy a real job. Special <laughs> yeah. counselor to the captain isn't even a role. That's not counselor. That's like special advisor, like we'll bring you along because you're Admiral Picard's son. Much He's as they, the he said, it's nepotism. <laughs> and they said, no, you earn this yourself. You know what would have shown us that he earned this himself? Is him taking a proper station and doing a real job yeah, on that bridge. Yeah. He's the captain's parrot on a pirate ship. He's literally there. He's, he's Iago from Aladdin go, Quack. crackers. Yeah. That was my least favorite thing this whole episode, that after Jack did such 
beautiful scenes in the Borg cube with his father. Oh, such good acting. I was like, Jack, you're making me cry. I didn't have all the people who I thought would make me cry this episode. I did not expect it would be heartbreak on Jack Crusher's face, but it was. And then they threw it all away here at the end by giving him a fake job on the (laughs) ship just so they could have that gag of they gave the ship to a pirate, a thief, and a con artist. And I'm like, oh, come on. That was, it was not a big enough payoff to to rob Jack of a real job. I expect if this series actually goes forward, that is one thing they will slightly course correct. And he's at ops or he's at the comms he needs, station yeah. or something like that. He needs to have something specific. It is a case of, oh, it's a little gag or, at the end of, a, of multiple endings like uh, Return of the King. Yeah. But once you get yeah. down to the nuts and bolts, you go, all right, okay, now seriously, what are you doing? Take after his mother. Like he ran a medical rescue ship with his mom for all those years. Why wasn't he the bones on that? Yeah, bridge? yeah. Standing behind the first officer and the captain making remarks. <laughs> um, that would have been a great thing. And then he goes down to sick bay and that's his job. On exactly. That, ship. that would have been awesome. Definitely. While we're talking about that B plot, I'll just say I love the fact that Stardock has quietly been upgraded to be the sum total of Earth's planetary defenses. Like all of it, like, yeah. I don't think that has ever been true before. It, my impressions when we've seen Stardock before in the films and since is it has really been, like the name says, it's the dock. It's the parking garage exactly. for starships. Yes. But in this, it is, if something wants to attack Earth, it has to go through space dock and... All of those phaser beams converging on that thing for minutes on end with the fireworks of the impacts just hitting its shields for minutes upon minutes. I thumbs up <laughs> that upgrade just because I am such a fan of that model, that space but it's a, it's a I new, love that it's thing. It's a newer model. It's got extra... Yeah, it's got the extra, it's got the extra widgets around yes. the edge for sure. Yeah, is that the technical term for it? Yeah, that's the technical term. And they rebuilt it in a year also. Easily. Like at the end of this, it takes the last hit, tilts backwards, and then someone says, Space Dock is down. And a year later, it's, fine. it's back. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. And there was that just that chilling sense of when the possessed young Starfleet members were on the crew and just how they're just talking in this drone and there's just silence and they're just going unauthorized movement or unsanctioned movement. And they just fire unsanctioned movement. And they're just this yeah. chilling sense of that's what's ahead. And we haven't yeah. seen the Borg in that way before. That sense of there've been just these, the, these lifeless, shipless spirits walking through. It's hard to find a new stage of creepiness for the mm. Borg that makes us fear them again. And they did at least approach that here, if not get there all Exactly. The just that, yeah, just that sense of this, this eerie, abandoned mansion type feel that you get in the old school horror sense of just these voices just talking with no emotion and they're just repeating it like a program. That was a tasty little bite of this potential evolution. Jordy's daughters, Sydney and Alondra, really sold that for me. If it had not been for those two characters, and especially Sydney, whose character we had gotten the to most, know as yeah. a person, going back to our previous episode about the hostage situation on the bridge and the fact that we didn't even know any of the people who were <laughs> under threat, here, the fact that the Borg 
right at the front of the pack each time were Jordi LaForge's two yes. daughters and that we had seen them as people. We knew what they cared about. We knew their relationship with their father, that seeing the real people converted to drones and threatening the, the people, the very people they loved, that's what sold it for yeah. me. If it had been just the rest of the nameless bridge crew marching around the corridors, it wouldn't have worked so yeah, well. Yeah, Bajoran guy, slightly not as bald as the one who was killed off. Yeah. Person. Green lady. Green lady. Well, yeah, it's really yeah. interesting because they took made a moment of capturing the old with the new. So you had that shot of Raffi, the two LaForge kids, and Seven of Nine, so the four images there shown so Geordie could look at his daughters and go, there they are. But it gave this impression of this is the future. But then when you cut to the Titan turned into the Enterprise G, Sydney's there, but we're down one LaForge. Maybe they're down in yeah, engineering. Yeah. Maybe they're down in the, with the warp core. Maybe so. Yeah. The only other thing about the events in Earth orbit was something that I noticed last week, but I didn't mention when we talked was the formation of the fleet formation. They're like circles, circles or dots in the yes. middle or a little like, uh, yeah. I The first time that happened at the end of episode eight, I was like, what is that? Yes. I, I'm, I guess they'll tell us next week. And then those formations were more and more prominent last episode and they still didn't explain them. I'm like, surely they'll tell us this week. And they never did. Never did. Um, never did. There is... There's been threads online with people going, does anyone know what that is? Nobody knows that th that is. Apparently, the showrunner was pinned down in some interview and he said, it's Borg script. It's meant to look like Borg ah. writing. But why would the Borg, you know, arrange their fleet in the shape of their writing? That, that doesn't really make <laughs> sense either. What it smacks to me of is that the script didn't say what formation they were in. And when they just put them in a random formation, like just a random cloud of starships, they kind of went, that looks boring and underwhelming. <laughs> Let's do something more visually interesting. Yeah. What could it be? And the CG artists did five versions and they were, this one's based on Borg script. And Terry Metalis pointed at the picture and went, that one looks the best. And that's how it ended up that way. Yeah. As far as I can tell, there's no story justification or function for that that formation. And I find that a little disappointing. Like what we talked about last week of like when the Starfleet younger crew become Borganized. I think that's a word I just came up yeah. with. I, sure, either sure. they become a Borg or they become Ernest Borgnard. Either way, they <laughs> had to visually show it in a way of going, they were once yeah. themselves and now they are Borg. This was a case of... This was before when they were Starfleet, now they are Borg. It was a case of, we need to visually show this in some way. Yeah. How can a fleet of ships look Borgified? Yes. And that's the best they could do. Exactly. We spent our time on the B. Let's, let's go back to the meat and potatoes, what yeah. we're all there for. We've already talked about Riker putting his foot up, which we all love. I noticed that this is yet another defanged Borg cube. It brought me back to the Borg cube that they visited in Prodigy in the episode Let Sleeping yes. Borg Lie, where it was like, oh no, it's a Borg cube. It's okay, they're all asleep. <laughs> it was the least scary Borg cube. And in some sense, like this one was both the most scary Borg cube we've ever visited because it wasn't Borg, it was like zombie Borg yeah. on board. And it was a real freak show over there. But on the other hand, it was also like... They went, look, we know that the Enterprise D all by itself is outmatched by even a normal Borg cube, let alone a giant one that they're going to be able to fly inside of in a minute. So they needed to like turn down the level of difficulty here. 
And I'm okay with it in the end. I think the spectacle that it gave us justified the slight backflip they did there of, it's a really scary board cue, but it's not too scary. But yeah, in the moment, I was kind of like, hmm, 36% operational, you say. That's pretty convenient. <laughs> they did nod to that once the Borg Queen started to make her speeches of exposition, and she described the fact that Janeway's neurolytic pathogen that paralyzed them and the destruction of the transwarp network when Voyager made its way home at the end of that series left them, the Borg, shattered and left her as the Borg Queen isolated and alone and all she could do was like feed on what was left to her which was that one and that's what she says like she's starving and yeah yeah yeah. it's really quite powerful description of it yeah it was well justified but it was mighty convenient that was a not too scary board (laughs) (laughs) now it's been said it was the voice of alice krieg so i believe it was just like it was a different actor in the bald queen that's right. There's a credited body double yes. who who is like in all of the latex and the fake rib cage hanging up yes. there uh, doing the acting. Do the acting yeah. and Alice just came in and did her voiceover and they synced it up beautifully. So yes, yes. it was good that we got a sense of the old school bridge and the old school crew there. But now with the new element of data being part human in a synthetic form. So not just obligingly doing what they're told and reacting and wanting to bite back a bit with the captain going, no, I should come with you and not wanting to stay behind and coming up with their gut, leading them to do what to do. And a great moment with Geordie going, Dana, I said, no, I'm going, Ooh, okay. That's a little bit of an imbalance of uh, status there, Geordie. Yeah. Yeah. When Data finally took control of the enterprise and flew that impossible flight, (laughs) it struck me that Um, just how many bridge crew are actually needed because Data was still sitting at ops and he was driving the ship, which you do from the con at that point. So Data really is superhuman here to the point where I wonder, is anyone else here even needed? (laughs) I did appreciate like the decision for Data to stay behind on the ship and Troy like calling that out and saying, look, if this is going to be successful, We need to maximize our chances. And that means Data, you, our superhuman crew member, should be here on the ship where you have the most resources at your disposal. So yeah, I like that. I think what we saw there is why we cannot have a further adventures of Data in Starfleet (laughs) because he barely needs a crew around Yeah, he just can operate a ship on his own. And that's where you have to suspend the reality of sci-fi of going what you love about it. It's a massive ship that can only work with people in all these sections. You need to cut to Geordie in engineering and trying to figure that out there. And the doctors in medicine, you can't just do it all from one spot. It was lucky that Jordy was needed in the command chair because otherwise it would have been really awkward that Jordy was still sitting there in the driver's seat doing nothing. <laughs> I would have actually liked Data to like jump across to the other seat when he needed to fly the ship. That would have been a nice a nice little turn there. Yeah, they did definitely keep him there because they're going, let's Data's seat. He's got to stay there. Yeah, we're used to seeing him from that side. That's his good side. Of course, if Data does carry on with his adventures, he will need only one crew member on the ship with him, and that's Beverly Crusher to operate all the guns. <laughs> I know. As I was saying before, that they gave everyone something to do here. It was like, okay, what is the doctor's job <laughs> going to be on this suicide mission? 
it's been 20 years. She's she's run her own ship. And she's been on the front line. She's been out there in the neutral zone. Yeah. She is not the same person she was. She's got a lot of city These miles These people on are not limited by their previous roles. And yeah, I loved that. Leaving the Enterprise D and going on that away mission, Riker, Worf, and Picard going after Jack... They spent a good amount of time there making us feel that these people might not come back. Yes. That at least they believed they were potentially making the ultimate sacrifice here. Seeing Troy wordlessly farewell her husband and then shut her eyes tightly to stop from crying. Yeah. Seeing Beverly let Picard go because she wants her son back, but realizing she may be sacrificing two men in the hope of getting one back. And all of that was delicious. And the more they did it, the more I went, okay, none of no. these people are dying <laughs> because that would be too obvious now. But still, it was, the emotion was real. I didn't need to be fooled into thinking these people were going to die in order to invest in the emotions of those moments. And so that was like the, all these years of all these characters paying off in letting them have those moments with each other largely without dialogue yes. and done through the acting. Yeah, and it, it did give you that sense of this isn't just routine, another mission that they're doing. This is a case of, no, this is all of them at the twilight, that they're not as fast and as on the ball as they used to be. Apart from Wolf, who's taken <laughs> dab wounds and phase of fire, and, he's, <laughs> and, and he deserves a good nap. He deserves a good nap at the Swords end. are fun. Swords are fun. I like how they, just that reality <laughs> of how heavy the Bathlet is as well. Yeah. That type of reality stuff, that detail is really cool. I like bringing that stuff in. Mm. Kind of like in the first X-Men movie when they reveal every time Wolverine's claws come out, it hurts every time. Those type of things yeah. are like the weight of it in that type of stuff I really liked. And his final lines to Picard were amazing, beautiful stuff. Two words we don't like to admit that we know defeat and farewell that was yeah he's good michael dawn gee we had another face off in a cg void that was two in one season and it's just so easy for picard to go straight back into borg just gets a cord and oh, sticks yeah. it into his neck against the queen's wishes she's going no <laughs> and he's like you can't stop me if i stick this thing in my neck i'm connected and i am face to face with my son that was like Okay, we'll go along with this. We need to get inside that face-to-face -face confrontation. This has been accumulation of nine episodes beforehand of Jack feeling alone and left out and not having real any place to go and finally finding his home. Yeah, a lovely subtle twist of you think that's because you had boredness implanted in your genome, but no, that's because you are a son of Jean-Luc Picard a famously socially awkward individual yes. who never quite fit in anywhere except on the bridge of his own starship. Exactly. That is such character-driven storytelling. Definitely. There, that what ultimately put these characters in the situations they found themselves was not Borg transporter code plot MacGuffin stuff. It was the true characters of these characters. And a beautiful moment of... Picard accepting that he will stay with his son rather than leave him, which we could see a mile away, but it was good. And Patrick Stewart did incredibly well with those scenes just in front of a green screen. I've never wanted a hug from Jean-Luc Picard more. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I think we should all get in line for that. So yeah, that led into the uh, Troy saving the day, finally reconnecting with her husband and being able to find exactly where they are. The first of many bookends in the way this episode played out is Riker saying, I love you and Zadi on that Borg ship, lighting up that connection yes. between them. It was a callback directly to the first time they both appeared on screen together on the bridge and encounter at Farpoint. Troy walks onto the bridge and says, do you remember what I taught you in Zadi? Can you still hear my thoughts? And that word that they made fun of just a few <laughs> episodes ago, that word connects them in a way that saves the day here, yes. saves four characters' lives. Troy famously often did not have a lot to do. And I, I'd say in an episode where everyone had something to do, Troy's something to do felt maybe a little crammed in there. But the fact that once again, it was a character payoff mm -hmm. sold it for me. Yeah. And beautiful, obvious line, but I did love it. I'll wait for you with that boy. You go, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Ugh. Freaks bring in, the, bring in the A game every time. Yeah. So... No, no, you look after our daughter. I'll wait for you with my boy. Like the daughter again, completely, completely left out. What the hell, man? <laughs> and they're going away on a holiday, apparently, at the end. What about the daughter? <sighs> it's going to be home alone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hopefully she deals with her daddy issues better than Tom Paris did. That's for sure. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, the endings here start with a log entry by Riker who says, Stardate shall we say one? And I said, no, Riker, we shall not. No. <laughs> I, I don't care how big of a grand finale you think you have here. You don't get to reset the calendar in a log entry. <laughs> uh, it, look, it's a good finale, but it's not resetting time. No, it is not. In, 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 in an episode that validated all of history to go, okay, now we're like, we're in the New Testament now. I don't know about that. I certainly don't think Riker has a big enough ego to think that his adventure is worth declaring it a new calendrical era. I don't know how you feel it is with how appropriate it is in a connection to Riker as a character, but he's very cheeky after mm. an overextended session for synth data, who's going through an emotional crisis just when he sees a crewman with a cat and Riker comes in and goes, still batshit, huh? I'm a little uncomfortable with how much... Riker A is becoming sweary and B is using batshit as his catchphrase. That's not the first time that Riker has uttered that term in this season. And yeah, it's, uh, I'm not sure I'm there for that. <laughs> and fair enough. It was worth it to see Troy say, stop it. Yes. And slap him in the chest. And to that see her subtle acting again, the rolling her eyes going, come on, I want, I want to be anywhere but here. Shopping for uh, holiday yes. destinations yeah, yeah, yeah. on her pad while he's talking. So good. We got Tuvok back. We did get Tuvok back. The real Tuvok. And again, this is the thing, another wave of the hand thing. We've had eight episodes of the Changelings being this massive threat. And then with you know, a wave of the hand with a description going, not only can we identify all the Changelings now, thanks to Beverly Crusher, amazing, good work, Admiral, but all those ones that we thought had been killed, oh no, they were very valuable, so we all got them back. Yeah, they were being kept for information. Yes. I am told the original script even had Ro Laren survive, that somehow, mm -hmm. somehow that they too. had beamed her off her ship, and she was in the same gulag that Tuvok was found in, but that all happened off screen here, and it was quickly waved away in Riker's log entry. But Tuvok and Seven, 
sitting across the table from one another and Tuvok making Seven cry. Oh my goodness. It wasn't until I saw that scene that, because I'd always remembered the scenes that Seven had with the Doctor, that their relationship was quite strong and her scenes with Janeway, of course, were very good. But I'd forgotten that Seven of Nine and Tuvok had built up a quite a mentoring type relationship as well. So that was quite powerful to have that whole scene acted out and have Shaw come back with one last tear jerking hit in the stomach. Yeah, I don't know about that uh, log entry from Shaw. That guy, I still don't understand that guy. <laughs> the fact that before any of this happened, he was willing to admit in a, in his personal log that he should more accurately call her Seven of Nine. And then he spent the entire mission refusing to call her that, even when she told him to, even when she had earned his respect and told him to, he still wouldn't do it. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but in some ways that guy was a schmuck. An asshole from Brooklyn is is too <laughs> kind a description, for sure. Yeah. A lot of levels to him. Yeah. You always hurt the one you care about the most. I don't know. But yes, great to have Tim Russ back as actual Tuvok and him working beautifully. Cherry Ryan, can we just give her a show? Come on, guys. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned briefly Crusher being promoted to Admiral of Starfleet Medical. In my heart... Beverly Crusher has been Admiral of Starfleet Medical ever since she left the next generation in the middle of its run and Pulaski came on board. Oh, wow. Like the, the story there is she had gone to Starfleet Medical and in my mind, she was running yes. the place. So the fact that she is now running the place is just like reestablishing what I already felt <laughs> to be true. Vindicated. <laughs> We get the trip in the space dock to see the Enterprise G. And we see the Crushers and Picard together in this familial type setup. And there's been yeah. a lot of talk. No Laris. No Laris, I might add. Justice for Laris is a hashtag going around. But Laris is great. Laris just said, look, um, she was leaving the vineyard. She was going back to... One of the moons of yeah, Romulus yeah. still going. Who even remembers? She's sitting at that bar table still waiting for Picard to come and watch you the You know sunset what? I don't, I think she's off doing a thing. She's, Picard's in the, her mind, but she's moving forward. That is clearly left ambiguous for us of to make course. up our own yes. mind. My version of it is that Picard did go home to Laris. He did make that date. It just happened off screen like so many other things here. And that he also, he has... Beverly and his son in his life. And when there is a family moment for the three of them to do together, they get of together. Course. But they weren't holding hands. They weren't snuggling. It, for me, they are they're friendly exes. And look, it is, yeah, it is that case of Laris was amazing. She's confident in herself, no jealousy at all, and understands where this positioning is and goes, yep, this is where I'll be to wait for you. And this Beverly and Picard have realized... We tried five, six, seven times. It's never worked. Yeah. If she was the one who'd got away and they had never made a go of it, then great. I would be on board with the romantic notion that reunited, the dam burst, and they finally fell into each other's arms. But that is not this relationship. No. The counter argument is Picard says several times that the discovery of being a father and having a son changed him. Yes. And maybe it changed him into a man that could settle down with Beverly Crusher, but that to me is less interesting than Crusher and Picard being co-parents, people who love each other, Ooh. but who are not in love with each other. 
and Laris gets the admiral she deserves. <laughs> everybody's happy. Look, everybody's happy is all I want, Rob. Oh, look, and look, and, and the part of me is there going, look, Beverly doesn't want to settle down. She's finally back in a no. position of admiralty that she's deserved, clearly, for decades. So yeah. she's not going to be settling down. She's got shit to do. She's got transporter programs that are magic wand solutions to not only the Borg infection, but also can now identify changelings, which they said clearly they couldn't do a couple of, because it was so impossibly hard and no talk of a virus. So I'm very happy with that. So it's the Enterprise G. It's no longer the Titan. Yes. What did you think of that? Yeah. I was a bit confused with it all. I didn't pick it up until the second time. And again, I think that was more of a, a saving their money to have the exact same set. But it's such a Star Trek for a moment of coming into space dock and going, oh, we're going to get the Excelsior and you fly <laughs> over top. And no, it's the Enterprise well, well, it's, with a new letter. That's the thing. It's the Titan. It's not the Titan. That was a beautiful moment. Names don't mean anything at all. And Jack goes, names mean everything. Seven of nine. What do you think her go to warp phrase will be? Uh, woohoo. <laughs> I really want it to be let's go. Let's go. I think her saying let's go would be awesome. Has she said that? Is that... No, she's never said let's go, but she's also never been a Starship fan. Mm. She's never been known to make models in her quarters. So I think there's room for anything here. And I just imagine Jerry Ryan saying let's go. And it feels both playful and powerful. So Pikes is punch it or hit it. Yeah, that's right. Kirk doesn't really have one, does he? No, he didn't really have no. one back then. I think that in this, there was um, Take Her Out. He has said Take Her Out once or twice in the films yes. because they were leaving Space hmm. Dock. And in this scene here, they say, will it be Take Her Out, Engage, Make It So? So there was like a playing there fast and loose, I think, with the idea that Kirk's would be Take Her Out. Yeah, like he had at the end of Star Trek for let's see what she's got. And they made a joke yeah. to that in Star Trek Five, And then in Star Trek Six, he did the beautiful second start of the right and straight until morning. Honestly, it's gotten too cute for me. I wish they would not like have the characters be self-aware. That they have to do would, it, yeah. If It is much more satisfying when they say it with a straight face than when they say it winking. And I don't know if you saw it in the trailer for season two of Strange New Worlds. We're going to get Spock's one, and it is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, that was a... He had better be drunk. He... That is the only other time I have seen Spock be that ridiculous was drunk Spock in the animated <laughs> series. He had better be in under the influence of something yeah. to be saying, I want to make the ship go now. <laughs> yeah, I get it, because engage was never a catchphrase. It was just an order, an instruction. Catchphrases are made by characters saying things that feel natural to yeah. them. When a character premeditates their catchphrase, you lose yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. They're putting a bit too much pepper on it in the new shows. So yeah. So woohoo. Won't be so it. to 10 forward at last. Oh, sorry. One more yeah. thing. In all of these closing scenes, before we go to 10 forward, something I noticed, a lovely detail is their badges turned gold. When we jumped ahead a year... The badges changed from black backings to gold backings. Ah. And we have seen those gold badges once before. We saw them in the future shown in Star Trek Voyager's finale, Endgame. Admiral 
Janeway comes back from a future in which they are wearing those exact gold badges. There you go. And it was so satisfying when they said one year later and suddenly everyone was wearing those gold badges. It was like, we made it, everyone. We made it to the better future that Janeway created for There us. we go. And so it's all t- tied in. But yes, we finally get back to the bar. We have a reference to Guinan, who's just off stage. She's hanging out with Ro Laren. She is. She <laughs> and Janeway as well. That's where Janeway's been this whole time. Yep. They have a talk show in, in the 25th century. <laughs> it's called The View from 10 Forward. It writes yeah. itself. And <laughs> it wouldn't be a Star Trek show without a, a Shakespearean reference. I know the movie's very much with Nicholas Meyer. And an off-color limerick. What's that? <laughs> One day he'll get that, he'll get that limerick out. The original went, there once was a woman from Venus whose body was shaped like a, and then he gets interrupted of course. in the original episode. Of course. So he didn't even make didn't it Didn't even this get that far. They knew time. too much. They knew too much. Yeah. So yes, Shakespearean, Royal Shakespeare Company, Patrick Stewart does deliver a beautiful monologue from Julius Caesar. I want to believe, and I would be shocked if it were not true, that they just said to Patrick Stewart, blank page in the script, say something Shakespearean. Patrick Stewart has been on his Instagram through the lockdowns of the pandemic. He was reading Shakespeare. Yeah, he was reading sonnets. And so I think they trusted Patrick Stewart with this one and said, hey, bring us something appropriate to the moment that hasn't been overdone. And he said, I know exactly the Yeah, we haven't done Julius Caesar. We've done Hamlet, Angels and Ministers of Grace Defend Us. And yeah, I'll of course cry havoc, Let's Flip the Dogs of War, The Chimes of Midnight, all those type of beautiful Julius Caesar. Not the most obscure, but in the pantheon of mainstream Shakespeare. Not a deep cut, but definitely a manageable cut in the way of Shakespearean references. You probably know your Shakespeare a little better than I do, although I do enjoy some Shakespeare. I don't think I've ever seen Julius Caesar, at least in full. I think I've seen parts of the film. But what is your read on the appropriateness of this speech to this moment. Because for me, as someone who doesn't know the play, it felt extremely appropriate. This idea that fate comes for you as a tide, and if you don't let yourself be swept away with it, you'll miss out on your life. And that they have all been traveling together on this swollen tide of fortune that has taken them where they needed to be, together and it felt so appropriate almost impossibly so that i almost i almost worry that that speech meant something completely different in context of the no play. within julius caesar it's very much about how you make your own fortune and your own destiny and whether wow. you as always in historical stories like that you trying to defy destiny or the will of the gods and the hubris that you have and especially with you know it's uh, brutus's tale really about the lengths he's willing to go to gain the power that he needs. And so it's very much a play in two halves where you have this first section of political intrigue and conspiracy and ambition. And then the second half is just warfare because of what's being created by the death, the murder, the assassination of this highly regarded ruler. So it is very much a pondering of men particularly and their ambition and their fate and their desire to make their own fortune or what they're willing to sacrifice to get further ahead with what they believe they deserve or what they are entitled to. It's yeah. There's a bit of sweetness to that particular soliloquy that 
Picard delivers, which makes it even better, is that it's not softly sweet mm. or purely poetic. There's a there's an edge to it, which I really like. And it whips out the ace of spades. <laughs> now, is that a particular, is that how they always started off a card game or is that just? No. no. In fact, it took me a moment. When he did it, I was like, what? I don't get it. <laughs> and then they said, yes, let's play. And I was like, oh, of course, it's the poker game. It's just game. a poker game. It's the poker game that it had to end with. The poker game itself obviously has great significance. That is the parting shot of all good things. The series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation. The crew has always played poker without Picard. And for the first time, he awkwardly steps into the room and says, I wondered if you'd mind if I joined you. And they said, you were always welcome. And Picard says, I should have done this a long time ago. And then he deals out the hand. And then the, we get the spiraling shot above the table as it pulls up out through the ceiling to the Enterprise flying off. Of course. The and that's how Star Trek The Next Generation ends. So how appropriate to put them around that table once again spiraling above the table but this time refusing to leave them just, and spiraling back down the rumors going around that they shot that they just let the cameras roll and just let these friends who as they just say they they keep in touch and see each other regularly yes. just spend that time and pick up all of this stuff the laughs the giggles the interactions that you just get this sense of uh that camaraderie yeah it worked and it didn't like it so worked because it was such a, a reflection of that powerful ending from the series and revisiting that all these years later and it feeling that much more nostalgic it worked because these actors actually like each other and seeing them hang out and laugh together is genuine and you feel the love it didn't work because you could tell they were improvising. And I think you could tell why during the series, they were told never, ever to improvise. <laughs> that they were under strict instructions to stick to the script because the language of Star Trek and of those characters is so specific. When you get these actors, when you let them and you don't tell them what words to say, they slip into their own modern day turns of phrase. I am positive, for example, that Riker would never say oi, oi, oi when looking at his cards. <laughs> that was not Riker. That was Frakes. <laughs> and there was a bunch of that stuff going on. Like when Jordy calls the game and Troy goes, whatever that is, that was Marina Sirtis <laughs> straight up and down. That was not Troy. At least Michael but, Dawn was still in character. Michael Dawn was very aggressive in character. Yes, he was. So he gets the MVP yet again. But he doesn't know how to play poker, I noticed. <laughs> the other thing is, if you pay attention to the cards flying around the table in that long lingering shot, some of the some of them know how to play poker and they have one card down and each new card that was dealt to them is face yes. up. Other ones were not so sure. They had all their cards down, they had all their <laughs> cards up. It was very inconsistent. And the dealing was not great either. Sometimes those cards were like getting stuck under chips and bouncing into the wrong person's hand. And like all of that, you can pick nits in it till the cows come home. But the point was that this was an ending that the actors had earned as much as the characters. And I think we were happy just to be with them playing in whatever form. Exactly. That was a case of that suspension of disbelief of they're going, this is what we wanted to see. And this is, we're willing to forgive certain blurred lines to to get that shot and they should have stopped there <laughs>
that is my opinion about the Q cameo yeah. at the end here. Is I was like, oh, you were. It was so perfect. Why did you have to go and spoil yep, it? They want to set up. They did so well with setting up Strange New Worlds and they got that series approved. So they want to go. If there was any doubt that they had zero respect for anything that was done in season two. That's what I've been saying. It was like, this was the final nail in that coffin. It's like, is there anything else that we can undo from season two to pretend it didn't happen? I have been saying this all season. I've been going. They have been throwing <laughs> so much shade at season one and two and thrown. All of it, everything they have strongly developed in the two seasons, Metallus has just gone. Everything you've done for the first two seasons was <laughs> all discarded. Yeah, much as I cringed, Q was really great in that scene. Look, that's the thing is, I wish the scene didn't exist, but also it's so good. It's John Delancey. I man. have trouble. Just get John Delancey in yeah. front of the camera. He can read the phone book and it's amazing. No, season two proved that is not true. <laughs> there is some, there was some weak Q stuff in yeah, season. I've already forgotten. Terry Metallus made me want to forget. Yeah. <laughs> Showed that we could ignore it. And I was following his lead. All right. We have talked for over an hour about this episode. <laughs> we have well and truly broken our format where we promised each other we would not do a recap show, but this was a special event. It very much was. Let's get back to not beat by beating these episodes <laughs> in the future, but it was very much this so. time around. Let's talk about big finishes. I've brought a couple that I want to reflect on, and um, I wonder if we'll match up because there aren't that many. Not that many. When it comes to TV show like endings, I think that's what we're going to be mostly focusing on. Yeah. And I already mentioned All Good Things. I think that one, unless you picked it, Rob, I'm going to say certainly if you've not seen the series finale of star trek the next generation and you're sitting here listening to us talk for an hour about the last generation what are you doing with your life go back and watch that thing it is a masterpiece i will call it now it is even better than what we got this week even under the budget constraints of early 90s tv sci-fi it is an even better story than what we got this week i admit i have seen it i haven't i've only seen all good things once and it was like over, oh God, 20 years ago. And I had not earned the right to watch it. I had not, I'd been in and out of next gen. And so I watched it. So I was lost. I was completely lost. Yeah. And I finished watching it and going, I haven't this yet. I need to have watched everything else. So when I get to that, that, that finale, I understand it. And especially since. Deep Space Nine and Voyager, which I've watched the finals of, that I was there for the whole seven years. So yeah, it, it does somewhat reward a, like close viewers of the full seven it seasons. It felt like that, but I'd say the only required viewing is the series premiere Encounter at Far Point, right. which sadly is a bit of a slog for two <laughs> hours, and it's a shame you have to watch that sloggy two hours where the characters weren't sure what they were yet it was all very stretched out because it started as a one-hour story and then they tacked the whole cue thing onto it to pad it out to two hours so yeah i don't love it and the fact that a third or more of all good things takes place in that episode yes. they return to encounter at far point and revisit some of the scenes Picard knowing that he is revisiting them, knowing what's going to happen and playing out the events differently on purpose. It is, if you have 
sat through Encounter at Farpoint, All Good Things is twice as good to watch. Yeah. I don't think you need to necessarily know the details of anything else that happens in those seven years. Mm. Basically, Q takes Picard, splits him in three, and says, you are now Picard in Encounter at Farpoint. You are also Picard here and now, seven years in. And you are Picard in the future. Yes. Divorced from Beverly Crusher with Data as a Starfleet professor with a streak of gray through his hair. And like all of these... Let's jump ahead and see what the future of these characters might hold. Very satisfying, as is often the case in these finales, a glimpse into a possible future so that we don't have to worry about what might become of these characters when we leave them. Hmm. So yeah, definitely go watch that. And the, the fact that Q is there at the beginning, there at the end, and here at the ending of the end is very bookendy and poetic in a way very much so but it's almost unfair to me that is the best series finale of all time all good things oh wow in any medium well big call yeah so well yes i went with of course i had to go with what you leave behind the finale of deep space nine which has the big task of tying up the dominion war tying up the invasion of cadassia tying up the plague which is ravaging the founders and solve things with Cisco and his connection to the beings in the wormhole. This, like this week's episode, is very much unending to the ongoing story. It isn't a coda. It isn't a standalone thing. It is the climax of the story that they have been telling for several years by this point. Definitely. And yeah, it carries directly on from the previous week's episode. So you've got Gul Dukat has gone full Bajoran and is having an affair with, with Kai Wynn. You've got Cardassia being invaded, but then the Cardassians shifting to allegiance with the Federation. You've got the virus, which has now got a cure thanks to the episode just before, and Odo connecting that way. And Cisco's ongoing journey that has been seven years all comes to a head. And unlike you were saying about with All Good Things setting off going, this is a possible future, sending things on with a safe, secure place in your heart. It's what you leave behind. The title says it. there's this bittersweet sadness to it. The final shot is a son looking out into the emptiness of space, missing his father. They're not afraid to let it hurt. It, it, I will say many nice things about our finale of Picard here, but one thing it was not is courageous about making us hurt. Like <laughs> everyone got a happy ending. Everyone survived. There was no like a sting of poison in the mix. It was truly all good news. Yes. And it's very much, that's why I got so emotional when we got to Lower Decks and they finally returned to Deep Space Nine and how excited I got that Kira's doing fine because her and Odo's relationship over seven years was such a crucial part for me of the show and for them to find each other so near the end of the show and then having this heartbreaking, not tragic, a heartbreaking goodbye where Odo's responsibility as a member of his species outweighs everything else. And especially now with so much time passed and with the passing of the beautiful Rene Bourgeois, Odo and Kira will never have that connection. Yeah. Definitely a minor chord, this finale. It is. Like the entire goal seemed to be bittersweet, not happy ending bittersweet. Yes. Every good thing came at a cost. Exactly. And we got war has ended. 
and but the ripple effect of that is felt. And so it's the end of an era and letting that sink in and going, not looking back and celebrating, going, this is what happens with change. And so, you know, O'Brien leaving, people moving on to other roles and leaving behind this home that we have been in for seven years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take us to Voyager's finale. That was going to be mine as well. Endgame. Great. We get to talk about it together. <laughs> so yes, it is halfway the culmination of the story we've been having all of this time, but not as well. In a sense, I feel like Voyager had wrapped up all of its unfinished business before the start of this episode. The only dangling thread, the only question left to be answered was, would they make it yeah. home? And that is the entire purpose of this episode, is answering that question in an interesting enough, complex enough, maybe convoluted enough way to make something that felt worthy of the seven years that came before. And in that sense, it falls a little short to me, especially on repeat viewing, but I can still remember the first time I watched this episode and how abruptly it ends. It has none of those multiple endings, those where do they end ups, those it's all going to be okays. And it's got none of the hugs, none of the thank yous, none of the drinks at the bar, none of that. They literally emerge from a transwarp conduit hidden inside a Borg sphere right. that then bursts apart. The ship comes out and they say to the assembled fleet, oh, sorry, it took us so long. Let's go back to Earth. Credits. Like it is so abrupt. It is too abrupt. It came across as far too rushed. And it was just a case of let's just get the hell out of here. As opposed to yeah. even with what you leave behind, even though it's bittersweet, they take their time to go Let's sit in this sadness of moving forward and what we have created. Yeah. Whereas this entire episode just feels like racing to the end. There's abrupt stuff brought in. Like we've talked about it before. Like there's a scene with Jakote and Seven of Nine kind of flirting and you're going that. There are so many scenes with Seven of Nine and Chakote. That romance, which was just barely hinted at in the episodes leading up to it. And infamously, even by the actors now, they say, we, we had no idea what they were doing there. There was no chemistry. And watching it yesterday, I'm like, those actors, Jerry Ryan and Robert Beltran, are acting their butts off to convince us that these two <laughs> people are in love. But you can tell there is nothing. nothing. They're like brother and sister in every scene they are in. Yeah. They smile at each other lovingly. And I believe the emotion, until it cuts to the other person, I go, what? Why about <laughs> that person? It makes no sense. It is so weird. And it comes out of nowhere almost in this finale in order to justify, in part, the decision that Janeway makes. I feel like this somewhat suffers from the convoluted plot that they devised for themselves that... Voyager would make it home, but at such a great cost that given the opportunity, Admiral Janeway would come back and try to change destiny so they make it home even sooner. Yeah. Which is flying in the face of a lot of things that, you know, Star Trek fans hold dear, that you don't mess with the timeline and that if people have lived out happy lives, you should not mess with that. 
because the future you could create could be nightmarish. But all of that is swept aside in the face of two things. One, seven of nine dies before they make it Mm -hmm. home. And two, Chakotay is so heartbroken by that fact Mm -hmm. that he dies an unhappy man many years later. And that's... Oh, and Tuvok goes insane. Tuvok loses his mind. His brain stops working properly. It would have all been fixed by a mind meld if they made it home sooner, but they didn't. So tragically, he's left a scribbling invalid in a hospital. And that those three facts are enough for Janeway to decide to break all the rules, to go back in time, change the past, and then... Janeway, as we know her, refuses to go along with the plan and says, no, I know you gave up everything and risked everything to come back here and change it, but I know better. We're going to do that and destroy the Borg while we're at it. And it's just, I think there is so much set up for that dilemma that there's no time left to reflect on what has happened after it's resolved. Yeah, and having that abrupt yeah, yeah. cut off. We have, we know nothing. We know nothing about, we have a little hints of it earlier on about what's going on with the holograms in that time. And, but yeah. it's just so many characters that we've been with for seven years. We just left there going, they just, they did not let the door hit their ass on the way out. They just wanted to get out of that show. The thing that they try to do, they try to have their cake and eat it too, is they set up this future that is not perfect, but it's good. Mm. The doctor is married. Harry Kim is a captain. (laughs) Tom Paris is bald and has a cool daughter who's running secret missions for Admiral Janeway. Like all of that. And Belana Torres is a proud mother who misses her daughter. Like all of that is, is cool. And we get to spend actually quite a lot of time like at a dinner party where they get to see each other and reminisce. The attempt to give us the fuzzy happy ending is kind of there. But then the story requires that Janeway change history. And we never get to see, do those characters get their happy endings? Or is it different? We never do until we get to see the gold badges in Star (laughs) Trek Picard this week. And I'm like, yeah, it still happened. The good stuff. The badges are there. We didn't get, we didn't get a real understanding or clarity or closure with the crew when they get home, but we got the badges. Yeah. The big showdown of Endgame is really a one-on-one between future Janeway and the board queen. Mm. And it makes the entire crew of Voyager who should be the heroes in their own finale feel sidelined. There's this shot where future Janeway has poisoned the board queen. And there's a moment where like the board queen goes, you haven't destroyed us yet. And they look at the view screen and the USS Voyager flies past into the transwarp conduit, which explodes. And That is basically the thing that the entire crew of the Voyager contributes to this episode (laughs) is on a view screen, they fly and blow something up and then cut to they make it home. It's quite sad. And uh, if you're ready for the segue, it reminds me also of the series finale of Star Trek Enterprise. These are the Voyages in which once again the stars of the show are relegated to being guest stars in their own series finale. With, of course, Freaks and Sirtis coming back. That's right. These Are the Voyages is very much... The most charitable take is that this was deliberately not the series finale of Enterprise. 
that it was an attempt to say goodbye to Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager. Right here, as they knew for the first time, Star Trek was going off the air and there wasn't a new series coming to replace it. They wanted, as they put it at the time, to write a love letter to the fans who had been with them through all of that. And you can see that in the way that this is structured is that there is a time jump between the preceding episode of Enterprise, which you might say is the true series finale of Enterprise, although it is... It resolves all the plot threads, but it doesn't feel like a culmination because that's not how it was devised. Enterprise wanted to have three more seasons on TV, but they got canceled after their fourth season. So what they did here in These Are the Voyages is they jumped ahead in time from when we last saw all these characters. And Enterprise is heading back to Earth to be decommissioned. Everyone's in slightly fancier uniforms, different hairdos. They are acting a little more mature, a little more comfortable with each other, a little more familiar, especially to Paul has loosened up. (laughs) Paul and Trip are no longer together. They have been broken up for quite some time. And then Riker is on the bridge out of nowhere. And this is all revealed to be a holodeck simulation of the final mission of the Enterprise NX-01, which Riker is watching in order to figure out whether to disobey orders or not. Yes. In an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called The Pegasus, season seven, episode 12. Um, And yeah, the uncharitable take is the indignity that the cast of this show were sidelined to be holodeck simulations of themselves being toyed with by Riker. There's an especially cringy moment where Riker, having gotten an insightful nugget from T'Pol in the galley, freezes the simulation and says to frozen T'Pol, thank you, and kisses her on the cheek before exiting the holodeck. And that moment of this person you don't know personally This is a historical figure. She just happens to be a pretty lady. So I'm going to freeze her and kiss her on the cheek to thank her for her help. It's ew. I think it maybe barely worked at the time, but with each passing year, that ages worse and worse. Yeah, it's like a very, it's like one of uh, Picard's wines from Chateau Picard. Yeah. I happened to show this episode to a friend of mine who had seen none of Enterprise. To your point of, you you need to have seen a lot of Next Generation to fully appreciate all good things. My friend who had seen none of Enterprise just asked me offhand, kind of like, how did that end? Like, where did it leave Star Trek at the end of that run? I was like, let's watch it. (laughs) You probably don't need to have seen anything. That's the criticism that this episode gets. And we watched that standalone. And at the end of it, he said, that was great. That felt like a fitting tribute to the Star Trek I know, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. And I I don't know why anyone has any complaints about that. Yeah, I have not seen it, to be honest. I've read about it and I know all about it and the funeral that it creates. And it's never a good thing when you can come in and just watch the ending and go, that goes well for the shows that I watch, but I haven't watched any of this at all. It really is more of an episode of Next Generation than Enterprise. You imagine you get canceled, but you get told you get to finish the season and write yourself a finale that will be a love letter to the fans. You get given a budget for that, surely. And the budget on this was entirely spent on the next generation stuff. Here in Picard, they created the bridge set 
and it was a it was a masterpiece and everyone is loving it. Here in the Enterprise series finale, they created everything except the bridge. We got the holodeck, we got 10 forward fully recreated, we got a corridor of the Enterprise, tracking shot to a interior of a turbo lift, which I'll admit was very carpety. They did the walls in carpet instead of metal. Respect. So it, it stands out a bit, <laughs> certainly in, in high def. We got Troy's quarters and we got the observation lounge with the big conference table fully recreated. They recreated all of those sets just to have Troy and Riker sit in them and have conversations about whether Riker's latest visit to the holodeck had brought him closer to deciding whether to disobey orders or not. My gosh. There's even a cameo on the comm of Commander Data. Data calls Troy to check in and she says, can I give you a rain check, Data? And he goes... You can check me for rain if you wish, Counselor, but I think you'll find that I have no water in my... And she cuts him off. And it is beautiful. <laughs> uh, just a little voice cameo from Brent Spiner there. So lots of stuff for the TNG fans, but the story for the Enterprise crew is surprisingly thin and half-formed. They go to rescue Shran, Jeffrey Coombs's Andorian yes. character. They go to rescue his daughter. Shran, last seen as an as a recurring character in the series, is revealed six years later to have to have died, but it turns out to have faked his own death. And these bad dudes have kidnapped his daughter to bring him out of hiding, and they want a gem, and he's gonna give them a fake gem to get his daughter back. They fake them out, they get back on board the Enterprise, and then the bad dudes, their ship is surprisingly fast. They catch up to the Enterprise, kill Tucker, yes, sir. who sacrifices himself for the rest of the ship. The end. They fly home, they mourn Tucker, they fly home, and they attend the founding of the Federation. It really does not hold together. It's half one thing, half another. It's this weird caper with Shran that they never quite explain what the stakes were, why the bad dudes caught up with them, or what they even wanted with Shran to begin with. And the founding of the Federation stuff feels... It feels like they're going through the motions yeah. and the focus is really on Riker and Troy standing on the balcony going, isn't it cool that we're getting to watch the founding of the Federation? So there we go. We've gone through the highs and the lows of... The highs and the lows. I think what we've learned here is that Star Trek was overdue for a series finale that really stuck the landing and felt like it left us on a satisfying note. So I'm so glad Picard got us and showed us what that can feel like again. And especially because we didn't talk about the movies, but there was such a bitter taste left with Nemesis that try, tried to do in some ways what Deep Space Nine did with their finale, but didn't really work. So to have this one, which so many fans have said, this is the ending that we all wanted. The problem with Nemesis, A, the, the actual story itself, not that great, but the bittersweet ending also felt non-committal. Yeah. The thing Deep Space Nine did is those costs felt irreversible. Yes. Whereas even as B4 sat in Picard's ready room, starting to sing Blue Skies, you felt even before they had finished the movie that they were already starting to reverse the cost that had been paid. Mm. And that's the sour taste that leaves in my mouth. But yes, we definitely got something that we could relish, enjoy, and uh, really celebrate with the end of Picard season three. Yes. And it's, a, it's an ending for a little while now. We don't have we don't have any more Star Trek to watch for a little while. We're not while. up until Strange New World season two starts. 
You've got some discovery homework to do that you might want to get a start on. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'll watch season four. If, it, if at any point you feel like a debrief, I'll be here oh, to look, record a special episode in between times. We will, we will definitely need to debrief back on the subspace radio transmissions about our thoughts about yeah. discovery. But otherwise, I'll see you in about six six weeks in mid-June for the premiere of Strange New World Season 2, which which is looking wacky. I'm a little worried by how wacky it's it is. getting looks. a bit too wacky for its own good. Yeah. If there's other Star Trek around that's grounded, like Picard was, great. But when we've got Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds carrying the torch. And they're going to be doing a and crossover. Discovery's going off the air. It's a little bit too wacky. Star Trek needs the grounded stories in order for the comedy to seem special. Very true. Very true. When it's all comedy, it starts to lose the plot a bit. So I hope we'll find some dramatic Star Trek in the mix in Strange New Worlds. Season one got that balance quite well with what I remember. So maybe they're just pushing the wackiness to draw people in, but I'm positive and hopeful. Until then, I'll see you around the galaxy, Rob. See you around.